Hello, my lovely people, and welcome back to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we're talking about Footnote to Murder, Season 1, Episode 19, first aired March 10th, 1985. The IMDb summary reads, Jessica Fletcher sets out to prove her friend Horace Lynchfield innocent when he becomes a prime murder suspect. All right, before we get into this, like I said last week, not one of my faves, but I'm doing my best here. (laughs) Anyway, so let's get into it officially. So we open on a rainy night And we're out in front of Lexington Ave Diner. We can see in the window and see this rather sad looking man who we learn is Horace Lynchfield. And he's reciting a poem that he's in the process of writing. It sounds terrible, but you know, whatevs. And he then proceeds to pull out a small handgun. And then we hear Jessica's voice. And she says something to effect, to the effect that cigarettes are going to be the death of him. And we find out at this point that the gun is actually not a gun, but it is a lighter. Uh, he proceeds to light his cigarette and starts to speak with Jess. So apparently they're both nominated for literary awards, him for poetry, her for, of course, mystery. And... Um, they are meeting up before they go to, I guess, the hotel where the um, event is being held and where they're staying. Now, as they leave, I'm like, did he pay his tab? Like, it looks like he might have just had coffee, but did he pay his bill? I didn't see him leave a dollar even on the table. So I am concerned about that. But then he proceeds to ask Jessica if he could hold twenty dollars. <laughs> like, are you serious? <laughs> that is shameful. Actually, <laughs> like, oh, can I hold twenty dollars? <laughs> oh, anyway, so which makes me think that he did not, in fact, pay for that coffee he had. Um, assuming that was all he had, I am very concerned for that waiter. Now, the next scene, we're at a house and we don't know who this person is yet, but we find out that this is Frank Lipinski and um, he's coming in with groceries. He proceeds to put the bag down on the table and open up a carton of milk that he has just purchased and drink directly out of the carton. Now, I'm assuming he lives alone, but still, (laughs) You didn't wash your hands, nothing. Just straight open that from, and this isn't even before COVID. I'm still like, you need to wash your hands when you come in the house. Cause honestly, uh, and he was food shopping. So you're like touching everything. Um, he just goes ahead, opens the milk, you know, when you're actually touching directly, the area where your mouth is going to go to, you need to wash your hands. That's gross. Anyway, he proceeds to drink out of the carton, puts it down and picks up the paper, uh, which is conveniently turned to the right page where he sees that um, Hemsley Post is 
writing a new book and he's already gotten an advance and it is going to be, um, it doesn't say like, we can't see in the paper, um, highlighted what the book is about. We're about to find out what it is in the next scene. But, um, this clearly upsets Frank. Just as a side note, like Hemsley Post is an amazing literary name. When we meet him, it does not fit him, but it is an amazing author's name. It really is. So the next scene, we're at uh, the hotel where the awards event is going to happen or events. I think it might be like a weekend of events type situation. And we meet Hemsley Post in his room. He is clearly drunk doing push-ups. Like I those aren't helping, but okay. Someone knocks on the door and he gets up, he goes over to the door. And this is what I mean. Like he does not look like Hemsley Post. Anyway, the person who's at the door is Tiffany Harrow, who is gorgeous, but Hemsley Post is disgusting. And she is an assistant to the awards coordinator or something like that. But it becomes very clear that the only reason she's up there is because she wants to get that manuscript. And uh, Hemsley tells her that um, that's his only copy and even his um, editor or publisher, I think he said publisher, has not read it. So, you know, which I honestly, that is really a bad decision to only have one copy. And we find out a bit later why this is such a problem, um, to only have one copy of your manuscript. Okay. Um, this was also an issue in, um, the murder she wrote book, Gin and Dagger. So you can sign on to Patreon and hear that review of that book. So we also learn in this scene, like I said, the topic of the book, which is about the Vietnam War. And Hemsley Post says it is the definitive novel on the Vietnam War. Okay, so that's why it's... And his last book we find out was Korean Connection. So I'm guessing... So the next scene, we're at the hotel and we see Hemsley Post doing push-ups, which in a, in a button-up shirt and slacks. So like, okay, who are you trying to impress? No one. That's who. He's clearly had a drink or two. Um, there's a knock on the door and we meet Tiffany Harrow or Harrow, who is an assistant to the awards coordinator, I think she said her title was. And she is a beautiful woman, a beautiful woman um, who knows that and is definitely playing up to Hemsley Post, who, side note, does not, I'm sure you'll agree at this point, does not look like a Hemsley Post. Okay. I don't know what he looks like, but that's not the name I would have gotten. That's not the image I would have thought um, when I heard that name. Tiffany is doing her best to flirt so that she can get a copy of the manuscript. Now, like I said before, Hemsley Post is writing a new novel. 
we find out that it has been seven years since he last published. Now, this is information we find out throughout the episode, but I'll sum it up real quick right here. It's been seven years. His last novel, which was award-winning, was called The Korean Connection. And I'm going to assume that that was about the Korean War. Um, This book, we find out, is according to um, Hemsley, of course, is the definitive novel on the Vietnam War. And he also tells us that, us meaning Tiffany, right, tells her that this is his only copy of the manuscript and not even his publisher has read it or seen it, which is really not a great plan because what happens if it's destroyed? Like, are you going back to your, um, did you write it on a typewriter where you can go back to the ribbon and see if it can be recreated? Did you type it on a computer? Because it looks like computer paper, you know, or the same paper you would use for a typewriter, right? It doesn't look like notebook paper. But for those who have a manuscript that is handwritten, um, and this is your only copy, like you need to photocopy that. And even if you need to mail it to yourself because you're concerned about it being stolen, which I would always be concerned about that, right? Then you need to have more than one copy because this is not safe. Anyway, so he is not giving up that novel. And before they can get any further and perhaps in a situation where he is sleeping and she can steal it, she doesn't even get that opportunity because there's another knock at the door as they're literally sharing a drink. Um, He has a drink of some sort of brown liquor and he takes a sip and then she takes it out of his hand and she takes a sip. And I'm like, that's disgusting. But anyway, so who is at the door? It is Alexis, which we find out she is Alexis Post. Yes, Hemsley Post's wife, not his sister, uh, not his mother, but his wife. Yes, wife. Um, And she's like, hey, girl, how you doing? Yeah, I need to speak with him. You can stay or you can go. So (laughs) Tiffany excuses herself uh, immediately. And we find out why his wife is there. Now, she has loaned him. Now, this is your husband, but we find out how this is actually a loan. Um, Over the past few years, she's loaned him $264,000. Now, we find out that she is a fashion designer. I believe that's her job. It's in fashion. I believe she is actually a designer. And apparently... On the more successful side, clearly more successful than um, Hemsley Post because she was able to give him over a period of time $264,000. And we do have a scene later on where Jessica goes to um, Alexis's um, shop or studio and you see it's beautiful, it's large, all these floor to ceiling windows. So she has money, money. Okay. So (laughs) I don't know if we know what city. Are they in New York? Maybe they're in New York. I'm going to guess they're in New York. Yes, they are in New York 
because Jessica has to go to Brooklyn. So they are in New York City. And for her to have that sort of storefront, she has to be doing very well. Um, And the reason that this is alone and not just like y'all are married, so your money is his money and his money is your money, is because they've been separated for, I believe, 10 years. And she's the one who tells us that he hasn't written a book in seven years and that um, she knows he got a, a hefty advance for this new book. So she wants her money. <laughs> she is serious. I'm like, yes, you come in here and he, she does not care that he is trying to seduce any other ladies. And um, she could care less. She just wants her money so she can move on. Now, I'm thinking perhaps they are not divorced because she is the one who's making so much more money at this time that she does not want to have to pay him alimony. Um, And maybe she's waiting for him to write another book that takes off so that she can divorce him at that point where they have an equal amount of finances. Um, Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, why are you guys still married? Oh, you don't want to pay alimony. I see. She's in for the long con. That's what she She's like, I'm not paying him alimony. No, I'll loan him some money, but we're not getting divorced until his bank account is close enough to mine that I don't have to support him. Very smart, Alexis. Very smart. Anyway, so... um. What I also noticed is he's real confident. Hemsley is real confident for a broke person. Because <laughs> he's like, um, yeah, so how about you come back after dinner, you know, after the award ceremony? And she's like, no, thank you. You know, like what, when we had something, it was great, but I just want my money. I don't want nothing to do with you. And didn't he already invite Tiffany back for drinks after the dinner or awards ceremony? He did that same night. So what, how was that going to work out? He, see, this is why you should be sober when you make these kind of plans. Cause that would have been a disaster. But his wife is like, nah, we learn later because I'm not specifically going to talk about the scene between Jessica and Alexis. Um, So I'll tell you now, Alexis tells Jessica that although Hemsley is a playboy, he doesn't have the ability to finish the situation, right? So that's why she wasn't trying to come back. She was like, ain't ain't nothing going to happen because you can't do anything because of the drinking, things aren't functioning the right way. So um, it, <laughs> I was like, dad, she really just put him out there to this stranger. <laughs> but she don't care. She just want her money. She, she'll tell whoever will listen, apparently. Anyway, so the next scene, we're in the hotel lobby with Adrian, who is another writer. I think he is also on the awards committee um and he's kind of just like a b character like he's there 
He does give us some information about Hemsley. He does have an interaction with him, but he's not necessarily a main character in this situation, but he's auxiliary with some talking parts, I guess. (laughs) Anyway, so while he's walking, talking to a reporter, um, Debbie Delancey, also great name, probably more so for romance novels, like like Jackie Collins, right? Um, Debbie Delancey, perfect. Or maybe crime reporting type, you know, true crime type thing, like Anne Rule. Yeah, Debbie Delancey on at five. Yeah, I can see that. She could be like a news reporter and do and write stories about true crime and stuff like that. Great pen name. Anyway, so she wants an autograph. Adrian gives her the autograph doesn't pay her a bit of mind more than that. She wants him to read her short story. He's like, yeah, no, thanks, bye. Um, He's a jerk, okay? Um, He does have a slightly redeemable scene soon, but he's still a jerk, like point blank period. Anyway, so the next scene, we are in the men's bathroom and Hemsley is getting himself together, combing his hair, I guess giving himself a pep talk. He doesn't look completely rumpled, so apparently he's pulled himself together for this dinner. And it's actually not the awards dinner. I think it's the um, dinner opening, the welcome dinner, because the award ceremony, I believe, is the next evening. So he's getting ready for this dinner. Then Frank walks into the bathroom and Hemsley's like, I'm not giving out autographs. This is the bathroom. You know, like, I don't do that. So Frank's like, no, I'm Frank Lipinski. I'm not trying to get an autograph. And um, Hemsley recognizes the name. You can see the look on his face change. He turns around. There's a confrontation. He thinks because he's bigger, that Hemsley's bigger than Frank, that he can intimidate him. That's clearly a tactic that he uses. But he wasn't ready for Frank because we'll learn later, Frank's been to war, okay? So he is not, he does not care that this man is bigger than him. He grabs his hand and flips it around and then flips his arm around and is like, uh, you stole my manuscript. And now you're writing a book on the Vietnam War. Like, what's the deal? So at this point... Hemsley is hemming and hawing. So someone walks into the men's bathroom to which Hemsley sees them in the mirror and says, help, he's trying to rob me. Help, he's trying to rob me. So the guy closes the door and runs off to get security. Security comes in. And when I tell you this is the scrawniest security guard I have seen, and I can't say in ever because that seems to be um, the theme. There's a lot of just like, disproportionately scrawny (laughs) security guards in in this series. But the worst part is he comes in. Now, someone runs to tell you that someone in the bathroom is being robbed. You walk in there, you don't have your any sort of weapon ready, whether it was pepper spray, a baton, um, a gun, nothing. Nothing. Just walks up in the men's bathroom like, what's going on? (laughs) To which, 
you're so far away from what's going on. The, um, the two guys, you know, uh, in the bathroom that Frank has the opportunity to turn around. Hemsley's not going to do anything because he is officially scared. And Frank has enough time and distance to um, set himself up to basically push you out of the way and run out of the bathroom. And you go stumbling to the side because you weren't expecting a confrontation from someone who's allegedly robbing somebody. You were ill-prepared for this. You, why did you even go in the bathroom? You were ill-prepared for a confrontation. Anyway, so Frank runs off and Hemsley's like, don't, don't go after him. It's fine. It's fine. He didn't take anything. Let's just let it go. Now, the next scene, we're in the lobby of the hotel again, and Jessica and Horace are talking to each other, and Debbie comes up, and she asks for Jessica's autograph, and Jessica signs it. She's like, oh, okay, and um, Debbie says, oh, my name is Debbie Delancey. She's like, oh, that's a very nice literary name, which I completely agree, right? And then Jessica hands the book and the pen to Horace, now she ain't asked for his autograph. Don't nobody care about Horace, but the awards committee. <laughs> anyway, so, but she lets him sign it, right? And then Debbie goes in for the kill. She's like, oh, I'm a big fan. And I, I know this might be asking a lot, but I'm trying to get into, I'm trying to become a writer. So could you please take a look at my um, short story? And Jessica's like, oh, I don't really... You know, I don't really do that, but it's also, I have so much to do. And she's like, listen, like my name and my number in it, I really, really appreciate it. It's a short story. And because Jessica is the person that she is, she says, okay, I'll do it. But know that I'm very busy, but I'm going to get to it. And Debbie's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Which is a huge thing for someone who's trying to get into writing and become a published author, you know, not just getting into writing, but becoming a published author and someone with the credentials of Jessica Fletcher agreeing to read your, um, your short story is life-changing because we know as audience members that she will actually do it. She's not just blowing smoke. And so what we also, what I at least noticed is that Horace is a jerk. Like I already knew he was a jerk, but like even more so the way that he's talking to Jessica about Debbie when they're, when they're walking away. And it's just like, it was not needed. It wasn't needed, you know? And Jessica's like, oh, you know, I like to help people out, et cetera, et cetera. But like, why is every man that we have met in this episode so far, a jerk on the verge of being trash. So, well, actually, no, Hemsley is trash. He is legitimately trash. But um, Horace is a jerk. Um, Adrian is a jerk. Um, Who else did we meet? Yeah, basically every man so far has been a jerk. The next scene, we're at the, I guess, after dinner party, the reception. And the best part of this whole interaction, there was a lot of talking back and forth. And we meet Lucinda, who is clearly a romance novelist. Um, 
she's also beautiful in a like older than Tiffany type of way. Um, but not like Tiffany's not airheadish, so I I don't mean that. But she's not like an airhead blonde who's just like, oh my gosh, I like writing about sex. It's great. She seems to have some substance. And so she is talking to Adrian and, um, you know, her books have been salacious and, you know, they're, I don't think they're erotica, but they seem to be romance novels. And apparently they're award winning level romance novels. And she's telling Adrian, well, you know, I'm thinking of taking a different direction with my um, next book. Um, I've been reading like the great authors um, from A to Z. And Adrian says, oh, what are you up to now, Aristotle? And I'm just like, why are you such a douchebag? <laughs> why are you now? He's terrible. Like now he's trash. Like before he was just a jerk. But this, this interaction with this woman who has done absolutely nothing to you and has been pleasant and is intelligent and is giving a good conversation, right? You're not pulling at teeth. You're not pulling teeth out to try to get a decent conversation from her. She seems to be an excellent conversationalist. And you're just a, a being trashy. Like, anyway. Anyway, but I will say this is the one and only time that I do not despise Adrian because what he does is he gets into a confrontation with Hemsley Post. Okay, he basically gives Hemsley the business and he does not back down to him. And Hemsley, like I said before, likes to intimidate people with his size. Now he's probably about the same height as Adrian, but he definitely has like 30 to 40 pounds on him. But you're also drunk too. So yeah, that could be a problem with focus. But Hemsley's like, oh, do you want me to basically beat you up like I did last time. And he was like, that was years ago. Now I'm a black belt in martial arts. And he did not blink. And um, it eventually um, Hemsley walks away because Adrian has stood his ground and Hemsley doesn't know what to do about that because he's used to, you know, manipulating people, either flirting with women that he thinks he's, so cool and suave, but they just want stuff from him or intimidates people to get what he wants. And neither of those things worked because one, Adrian's a straight man in this situation. And two, Adrian did not blink. He was confident in his skills to defend himself that he was not scared of Hemsley. And I was like, clap, clap, clap. You're still trash. But for this scene right here, I support your standing up to Hemsley. That's it. The only, only thing that does not overtake the fact that Adrian is trash. So, so later on in the episode, we have Lucinda speaking with Horace and Lucinda definitely likes her some Horace. Now she's listening to his terrible poetry and he said he don't even know what it means. But she is just like, 
enraptured, right? Just like, oh my goodness, that's just the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And um, I'm like, wow, I guess it works. You know, Horace is not the most attractive person and he's super annoying, but you know, maybe those who like his poetry are just, you know, enamored with him uh, in spite of everything else. Um, But maybe he's not annoying to them. You know, that's true. Anyway, so then Hemsley comes up and tries to get in because he's jealous and he's embarrassed from the interaction that everybody saw with Adrian. And he tries to pull Lucinda away, not physically, but starts speaking with her like, oh, you know, I want to give you a signed copy of Korean Connection, um, which was his previous book from seven years ago that was award-winning. And so she says, "Uh, okay, but I'm talking to Horace. Like, I'm I'm trying to spend the night with this man. So please leave. (laughs) She ain't say that, but that's what she meant. And You'll see I'm right in a little bit. Anyway, so then Horace is like, yeah, I never could get into that book, speaking about Korean Connection. And um, so Hemsley's like, oh, what, was it too gory for you? He's like, no, too many grammatical errors. I was like, oh, literary shade. Oh, no. Because <laughs> that cut deep. That cut Hemsley deep. Okay, as embarrassed as he was when Adrian stood up to him and was not intimidated, the fact that Horace, not even paying him a bit of attention, right, was like, yeah, no, I had too many grammatical errors, stood there and looked him in the face and said that, okay? So, of course, because Hemsley is a bully and a baby, not even a baby, I won't even give him that, an angry toddler, That's what he is, an angry toddler. He then sucker punches Horace with his left hand. Now, I don't know if he's left-handed, but I don't think anybody typically expects uh, a punch from the left side. So even if Horace knew Hemsley was going to punch him, I don't think he would have expected it to come from the left side. Um, I think everybody was shocked. (laughs) Now, a sucker punch, you don't expect the punch. So, you know, whichever side you were going to be surprised. But I was like, really? A left-handed sucker punch? That is something else. Anyway, so Jessica is the only person who then jumps in. It's like, oh my God, y'all, please break this up, break this up. Now, I, Jessica, this was not Horace's fault. He does a lot of things that are annoying and frustrating. Yes. But he did not do anything wrong in this situation. He told the truth. Okay. There probably were a bunch of grammatical errors (laughs) in that man's book. But he, he did not initiate any physical contact. And I don't think that he, meaning Horace, was acting like a child. In this instance, he was not wrong in anything he did because he didn't even try to go after Hemsley after he was sucker punched. You know what I mean? So I I didn't like that Jessica blamed both of them because it was not Horace's fault at all. And I will 
give credit where credit is due. He did not initiate this. He didn't even say anything. Well, I guess for an author, that was really disrespectful. But if it's the truth, then it's the truth. Like, why are you even bothered by that? Why are you even bothered? If you want awards for this Korean Connection book, why would you care about what this poet said? Like, man, listen, petulant toddler. That is exactly what Hemsley Post is. Where is his mother? My God. So the next scene, it's the next morning and Jessica is in the hotel. She's fully dressed. I don't know what time in the morning this is, um, but I'm sure she's already gotten out, probably done her run around New York City, came back, showered, and is ready for the day. She goes to Hemsley's room because she says that she has an umbrella and she believes that it got switched with Hemsley's that night at the reception because everyone kind of put their coats and their umbrellas on some hooks together. So it was easy enough to get black umbrellas mixed up when you're grabbing them to leave. But somehow, some way, oh, I know how. There was an H and a P um, engraved on the umbrella Jessica had. So that's how she was like, oh, I think it's Hemsley Post. So she got his room number because, you know, back in the day, they were real loose with, oh, where is such and such staying? Oh, room 718. You know, anyway. So she goes up, she knocks on the door and somebody opens it. Right. And so we learn later this is um, ADA or assistant district attorney Comstock. Uh, But she doesn't know who he is. She's never seen this man before. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I was told that this is Hemsley Post's room. And um, he's like, what are you doing here? Like, "Uh, I think that he picked up my umbrella because I accidentally picked up his and it has an H and a P. So uh, Hemsley Post. So. This so Comstock is being real shady. I'm like, why don't you just tell her, like, oh, I'm sorry, this isn't his room or something? Like, get rid of her. Like, (laughs) he then, without telling her anything, invites her into the room. So she walks into the room and she's looking around to see where Hemsley is, and she sees. Um, Lieutenant Mayer, who, or Meyer, however you want to pronounce it, who we will later know as Mort Metzger. He does have another role as a different character before we meet him as Sheriff Mort Metzger. So, but this is the first time we see him. He is Lieutenant Mayer um, from the New York Police Department. She continues to look around. And she sees he has a badge out. He has a, a notepad and she's like, oh, wait a second, what's going on? Continues to look around, sees a uniformed officer, looks down and sees Hensley Post in his uh, T-shirt, boxers and a robe with a uh, sword. I don't know if you would characterize it as a sword uh, or a poker, basically stabbed into him with a very uh, detailed engraved um, handle on it. She's like, oh my goodness, this is terrible that this 
again, except for Lieutenant Mayor or Meyer, however you want to pronounce it, except for him, every man in this episode is a jerk. Because why, Comstock, wouldn't you have told a civilian that there was a dead body in there before you let her into the crime scene? Okay? This is outrageous that you would allow this civilian, who you don't know is Jessica Fletcher, the you know world-renowned detective slash writer, right? You don't know that. You don't identify her and say, oh, Mrs. Fletcher, I know who you are, whatever, come right in. There's been a murder. No, you let her in unsuspectedly and she sees a dead body. If she was anybody else who has never seen a dead body, she would have freaked out. She could have passed out. She could have thrown up. She could have compromised the crime scene, which in fact, she kind of does. But that's outrageous that you would allow a civilian to walk into a murder scene and not tell them that there was a dead body in there. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. So <laughs> it was just outrageous. Anyway, so um, Jessica's like, what happened here? So they find the, they have found the bottom part of an umbrella, right? So they believe that it was a um, sword umbrella. There's a name for that. Like there's a cane sword, which is a cane, and you pull out the handle and there's a sword on it. So it's similar to that theory, but with an umbrella instead of a cane uh, attached, covering up said sword. So Jessica's like, well, that's not my umbrella that's in two pieces, one of which is the murder weapon. Um, so clearly somebody else, cause anybody could have picked up that umbrella, but, uh, yeah. Now she recognizes it as Horace's because we also recognize it as Horace's from the diner scene where he goes to pick up his umbrella and we see the intricate detail of the handle. If we didn't heads up, that's when we saw it the first time. So Jessica is looking around, you know, observing. She's like, oh, did you see that there's lipstick on the sheets? Did you notice that? You clearly had a lady caller last night. And they're like, oh. Um, she's like, yeah, so where's the manuscript for his new book? And uh, Lieutenant Mayer says... Um, well, we haven't found it. Maybe it's under the bed. He looks under the bed. He's like, no, it's not there. She's like, oh, it's missing. And Lieutenant Mayor said, we didn't even find, we didn't find a briefcase or anything like that. She's like, oh, so that's been stolen. That's good to know. Right? <laughs> and Lieutenant Mayor is very nice. And he is actually listening to Jessica as opposed to um, Comstock, who's on the phone with the press and is trying to get like news trucks and everything like that because he wants to move in the political realm. So he wants as much good press as he can get. Now, I don't know if he is the district attorney or if he is an assistant district attorney. And I don't think he is the district attorney, um, but a member of the district attorney's office. 
um, trying to make a name for himself. So at some point, um, as Jessica's looking around, she finds a note. I believe it's a handwritten note on the desk. And like I said, Comstock is on the phone trying to get the press there. So he's ignoring her. And she's like, oh, did you notice this letter? It's from a Frank Lipinski and it's threatening uh, Hemsley Post. So maybe this is important. To which Lieutenant Mayer responds, but Comstock's just on the phone like, whatever, whatever, you know. And at some point, um, Comstock is like, hey, lady, you can't be in here. Stop touching stuff. Like, you got to get out of here. I'm like, are you serious? You let her in, idiot. So <laughs> he he then um, picks up Jessica's purse. He puts in a pair of glasses um, and gives her her purse and sends her away. Well, taking a step back with regard to the glasses... Now, Jessica found them, I believe, amongst the sheets on the bed. And she says, well, if he was reading in bed before this happened, I wonder what he was reading because there's no books. And of course, the manuscript is missing. Um, She's like, what was he reading? I don't think there's a newspaper around either. So she's holding the glasses. And when she puts her purse down on the desk, she puts the glasses next to them. Now, Jessica, when you found the glasses, you should have pointed them out to Lieutenant Mayer, who actually would have, you know, probably had the cameraman take a picture and invoice them. Okay, so you were actually messing with the crime scene. You did remove evidence from where it was. Jessica, Jessica. Anyway, so... She leaves. The next scene, we are at the precinct and Horace is there. And he's like, yes, that's my umbrella. I bought it at an antique shop maybe last year, whenever, because I needed an umbrella. And so he was so drunk that he doesn't remember. He can't definitively say, I did not murder Hemsley Post. He's like, I don't know where I I went last night. I don't know what I did. I don't know if I killed him, which Comstock's like, that's enough for me. You're under arrest. You know, Jessica's like, oh my goodness, this is unreasonable. Like, have you thought of A, B, C, and D? Um, What about the lipstick on the sheets, right? So as they're talking, Tiffany comes in to the precinct. Comstock gets a call. Well, I'm guessing this is the DA's office. Yeah, it's the courthouse and the DA's office is in the courthouse. So they speak to her, which is ridiculous that they're speaking to her in front of Horace and Jessica, okay, for one. Well, for one, two, three, and four, just terrible. Oh, anyway. So um, Tiffany is like, well, yeah, actually, I was supposed to um, meet with Hemsley Post to talk about his manuscript, right? So I gave him my room key so he would remember which room I was in. But I'm like, did you have two keys? Because you were in the hotel by yourself. Like, did you have two keys that you would give him the key? And you would be... That didn't make sense to me. Because it wasn't a key card. It was an actual key. Anyway, 
Because she said she didn't feel comfortable going to his hotel room. I'm like, but you went to his hotel room alone uh, the day before the murder. So mm, that didn't sound right to Jessica. Uh, Probably Lieutenant Mayor as well. But, you know, he can only do what he can do. Uh, Comstock was like, oh, that's perfect. That makes perfect sense. Um, what, What were you doing yesterday night? And she said, well, I was, I had dinner with Adrian. So he's like, okay, that's good enough for me. All right, you have a great night. Bye. And Jessica's like, that, none of that makes sense. Like, are you going to look into this? Of course not. So he just wants a quick arrest. He is immediately on the phone with um, the news, with the news reporter. Like, hey, I got this great story. I've made an arrest in Hemsley Post, um, murder blah, blah, blah. And Jessica's like, in his other ear, like, you're an idiot. And if you're not going to solve this, I will. And storms out. (laughs) And she means that. And she means that. As she walks out, she catches up with Horace and Lieutenant Mayor, because Lieutenant Mayor is taking Horace into custody. And Horace gets on the elevator and Jessica is talking to Lieutenant mayor and he's like everyone knows that Comstock is a jerk but I got to do what I have to do he said to arrest him so you know I I don't know what to tell you and she's like I'm not gonna let that guy's incompetence or whatever or his desire to become mayor you know um cause my friend to be railroaded lieutenant mayor is like I understand he turns around the elevator doors close with Horace on it And he goes to run to the stairs so that he can get to the elevator. Now, I'm going to guess that it stops on a different floor, okay? Because uh, Lieutenant Mayor does not catch up with him. Horace ends up in a group of um, men who are heading into court because he goes to a court officer. It's like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And they're like, yeah, 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 get online and whatnot. Um, when he's about to go into the courtroom, a, an ADA, I'm assuming, comes out and is like, listen, let the guys go. He just wants the, the women. So it's a prostitution um, sweep. So they arrested both the Johns and the um, sex workers. And so the judge is uh, not willing to charge the men but will charge the women which disgusting period so they let him go they're like Horace is like no I really don't think that I'm supposed to leave and the court officer is like no no no, it's fine you know this judge isn't going to charge any any of you guys get out of here side note um one of the the ladies it's like all oh, feeling up on Horace. Like she trying to get a date. <laughs> She's like, listen, this is only going to be for a few minutes. Uh, like, can we meet like tonight at eight? <laughs> She's like, listen, I got to pay my court fees. I got to, how am I going to do that? I got to get work. So anyway, so Horace is like, okay, I'm, I, I was told to go. Now, Horace, you are an adult. You should have asked the court officer, I am looking for Lieutenant Mayor. I am looking for ADA Comstock. 
um, either of those two names, but you're like, oh, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. I don't understand. You are a functioning human being that understands how to communicate to people. And you just did not realize that you may have wanted to say that I have a meeting or I'm supposed to be with Lieutenant Mayor. I am supposed to speak with um, ADA Comstock because then the court officer would have either held you there and called um, on the radio like, hey, you know, we're looking for Lieutenant Mayor or two would have directed you back to the DA's office so that you could be found. But you didn't do that and you wanted to act dumb. We know what you were doing. At least I did. You were, you didn't want to go to jail. You wanted Jessica to figure this out so that you would be free. You're not stupid. You're not immature. You're not um, ignorant of how the world works. Just, oh, anyway. So Horace is out and gone, right? Lieutenant Mayor comes back up and says, we have a problem. We lost him. And he has not checked in with Jessica. He's just in the wind at this point. The next scene, we are back at the hotel and Jessica is in a phone booth. It is inside the hotel. It is beautiful. This phone booth, it's a large, it has um, a door that closes. It looks like it has a seat in there, spacious, just beautiful. And as she finishes her call, she comes out and she bumps into Tiffany. And um, long story short, Tiffany stayed and listened at the door after Alexis Post, Hemsley's wife, um, came in. And that um, she heard the wife saying that Hemsley owed her money and demanding that money. So now Jessica's like, oh, Alexis is a suspect as well. So at this point, she goes to Alexis's shop um, to speak with her. That's when we find out Alexis and Hemsley have been divorced no, not divorced, separated, legally married, but separated for 10 years. And that Hemsley has performance issues. Um, So we get that additional information. So next, Jessica is going back to the hotel and she sees Horace in the revolving door. And after some, you know, confusion, they're both outside and she's like, everybody's been looking for you. And he was like, well, I was told that I was free to go, but I thought it was a mistake. I'm like, oh, you're not an idiot. Anyway, um, so we're back at the DA's office because Jessica is there to turn Horace in. But before they walk in, uh, Comstock is speaking with Lucinda and asking for an autograph. Uh, I'm like... Comstock, are you married? Are you trying to, are you trying to date Lucinda? Like I said, she is beautiful. She can communicate very well. You know, she seems to be a little older, meaning like probably in her thirties, maybe forties. Um, so like mature and everything like that. So I'm like, I want, I'm not mad at you for like trying to be like, Hey, I hear you're single. So am I. Let's see how this works out. 
but you're a jerk. So I don't want that for her. I don't, I don't want that for her. So then Horace comes in and again, like, why are you, why do you have these suspects in your office at the same time? So Lucinda's like, well, I have an alibi, you know, I, Jessica brings up that there were lip, there was lipstick on the sheets. And so Lucinda's like, yeah, no, um, I have an alibi. I spent the evening with an amazing man. And they're like, who was that? Because, you know, um, Comstock's a tad bit jealous at this point. And she's like, Horace. And he's like, what? Oh, he did? And she like grabs his arm. She's like, oh, yes. <laughs> we spent the night together. And Horace is like, I, how did I not remember that? I wish I could remember spending the night with Lucinda. I'm like, yeah, how about you not get so drunk that you forget that you spent the night with this woman. <laughs> she was determined though. She she was determined. So maybe he is very lucid when he's drunk, but his regular jerk self, that's it. That's what it is. When he's drunk, he is a very different person, a much better person to be around than his normal personality. So I could see how Lucinda was just like very, had a, an amazing night, but because um, Horace is naturally a jerk when he's blackout drunk, that jerkness goes to sleep and a much better personality is awake and functioning. So that sucks for him in that he doesn't remember it, but it's great for Lucinda, who apparently had an amazing time with him. So the next scene, we are on a loading dock in Brooklyn, and Jessica um, is speaking with Frank. And my question is, how did she find him? Okay, how did she find him? Like, who did she talk to? I understand we're moving this along, and it's near the end of the episode, but how did she find this man? Like, granted, she had a first and last name, but to be able to find him randomly at a, a loading dock in Brooklyn, like, <laughs> and just like, just found him, wasn't roaming around or anything. The cab dropped her off right there where he was working. So Jessica asked the right questions to Frank, and she has already made the connection at this point that Frank is the actual author of um, this definitive novel on the Vietnam War. Um, also, taking a step back, one of the things that Adrian said um, in his confrontation with Hemsley Post was that, isn't it true that you were only in Vietnam for a week and that was as um, an attache or reporter for Playboy? So how are you writing the definitive novel on the Vietnam War when you weren't even there for real, for real? Mm. Yes. Interesting. But now we know how because he stole Frank's manuscript. And this is the problem when you only have one copy and you send said one copy to somebody who is not a publisher. Okay? Like, this is what can happen. Anyway, so Frank gets real skittish when it becomes clear that maybe he was a suspect. 
Um, then I guess his supervisor comes out and he gives us some more insight because Jessica is asking the right questions the right way. So people are more willing to answer them and give her the information she needs. So uh, somehow, some way she finds a taxi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what the, uh, the supervisor said, oh, you know, you're not going to find one just driving by here. There is a phone book in the phone booth over there. So she must have called a taxi to pick her up. Um, so the next scene, she is at a bookstore and it's Adrian's book signing. And uh, we find out here that Adrian was Hemsley's secretary 10 years ago. So he knows... Alexis. He knows Hemsley's secrets and things like that. Also, it sounds like him and Alexis had a little situation, a little romantic interlude as well. That just kind of passes by. Like we don't get more details, but that's what it sounded like. Like those two were together. But um, which would make sense if uh, one, if Alexis and Hemsley were separated for 10 years. It sounds like this was just around the beginning of that. But two, if Hemsley was having performance issues, then Adrian seems like a good, you know, substitute, right? Um, But my question is, because Adrian is an author, I don't know what type of books he writes. I don't know if we ever find out. But did he... Adrian write the Korean connection because clearly at least for the past seven years Hemsley has not been able to write anything he has had writer's block I'm just wondering if he did not have a book to steal so did he steal Korean connection from Adrian while they were working together meaning Adrian was his secretary and so you know, maybe paid him something and helped him to get his, Adrian's first book published, right? So I'm thinking maybe that was the payback for Korean Connection. And Hemsley just in the past seven years didn't have the opportunity to steal somebody else's work until Frank sent him this novel that was just transcendent and he was willing to put his name on it. I'm wondering if Hemsley actually wrote any of his books or if they're stolen. We only know of two. We only know of two. The new one that was coming out, that was Frank's Lipinski's book, and Korean Connection, which I truly believe was Adrian's writing, that um, Hemsley worked something out, some sort of agreement out regarding that book um, to put his name on it instead of Adrian. So mm, interesting. So the next scene, we're back at the hotel in Tiffany's room. Now she is reading a manuscript. It, is, it has the same binding as the one we saw in Hemsley's room with his uh, top secret manuscript. So I immediately thought, oh my God, Tiffany was the one who was in his bed, got the lipstick on the sheets and stole, murdered him and stole the manuscript. 
Or maybe she didn't murder him and just stole the manuscript, but I was convinced she had the manuscript. I was like, oh, crap. Um, but we find out that it actually is not that manuscript. It's from someone else and that Tiffany is trying to go out on her own as a publisher. So, um, you know, she she was a red herring that was quickly um, discarded. Um, but I love how Jessica just really legitimately pushed her way into that hotel room. Like, you got to open the door with the chain lock on because <laughs> Jessica was like, hey, how you doing? Just in the room. <laughs> she did it so smooth that Tiffany just didn't have a chance to react. And because she was so nice and polite, you can't like slam the door in her face. You know, like you can't come in here. Anyway, Jessica, with this smooth questioning and the one-two step right into that hotel room uninvited. <laughs> anyway, so now we're getting closer to the end and about to get to the wrap-up. Um, so the next scene, we are at Frank Lipinski's apartment. And he has the manuscript because we also see um, Hemsley Post's briefcase, assuming you know, well, rightfully so, that it's Hemsley Post's briefcase and he's reading the um, manuscript. I don't know if he, well, you know what? He probably is reading it to see if um, Hemsley made any changes to um, what he sent Frank. When there was a knock on the door, he closed the manuscript, put it in the briefcase, closed the briefcase. And so then when he went to the door, was confronted by Lieutenant Mayor and ADA Comstock with the warrant. He slams the door, runs, gets out the window with the briefcase, goes down the um, fire escape. They're, they have backup there ready to go, right? So at this point, he is captured. Um, he confesses. They get the briefcase. They look in it. They're like, oh, this is the, the manuscript. He's like, yes, I did it. I murdered him. Uh, he stole my novel. I murdered him. So the next scene, we are in the back of a taxi with Jessica and Horace. And Jessica's looking through her bag. She's like, Frank isn't the one who did this. And she finds a pair of glasses. And she says, these must be Hemsley's. I must have picked them up in his hotel room um, the day of the murder, right? Horace takes them from her and it's like, I think he would have, if he wore glasses, they would be much more manlier than this. And he then proceeds to put the glasses on. Jessica has an epiphany because just a side note, spoiler, he looked very similar to Debbie Delancey um, with the short brown hair. The glasses are very feminine, but on his face, his face shape as well was similar to Debbie's and that was the epiphany. That's what caused Jessica the epiphany. So she grabs the glasses. She tells the driver to pull over immediately. She gives um, Horace, I think a 20 to pay for the cab ride and gets out um, because she's looking for an optometrist. And so instead of going back to the hotel, like he, they were planning to, Horace is like, oh, do you know any good bars that are open at this hour? So Jessica goes to the optometrist and 
the funniest thing was the optometrist is like, this is not anywhere near your actual prescription. Um, where did your optometrist learn his craft? The Braille Institute? Now, doctor, that's hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> Anyway, so Jessica asked if those lenses can be put into a different frame. He says, yeah, okay. So the next scene, we're at a restaurant and Debbie is speaking with Jessica. Jessica says, oh, I've read your short story. And that's why she had gotten in contact with Debbie to update her and go over it. She's like, oh, I've written some notes. Um... Oh, I can't really see. Can I borrow your glasses? And I'm like, Jessica, you're usually much slicker than this. You don't ask someone with prescription glasses to borrow them like they're readers. But okay. Okay. And Debbie actually does take the glasses off her face and gives them to Jess instead of saying, yeah, they're prescription. I don't, I don't know how helpful they'll be. <laughs> so I'm not going to hand over my glasses. <laughs> anyway. So Jessica takes them, she goes to put them on her face, she drops them, swaps them over for the ones that she got from the optometrist, puts those on and says, oh, no, actually, that's worse. So she gives back the glasses and the manuscript and says, well, you read it. And so she reads it. She's like, oh, yes, yes. I think that the introduction is a bit too vague. Um, So then Jessica is like, all right, let's wrap this up. So, um, the way this is written, it seems like your brother actually was in Vietnam. Like, how was, was he? And she's like, yeah, he was. And it was difficult because, you know, our parents had died. So we just had each other. So clearly Frank is her brother, um, which we find out in like three seconds. But uh, clearly Frank is her brother and he's the one who went to Vietnam. And, um who she wrote this short story about. So now it all comes out. Debbie's like, I didn't mean to kill him. It was self-defense. It was self-defense. And this is the story. So she was in the lobby of the hotel and Hemsley saw her asking for autographs and he comes up to her and she immediately recognizes that he is the person who stole Frank's story. So... She plays along and because Hemsley is a creeper, he invites her back to his room to discuss her short story, right? So he he takes a copy of it and he's like, oh, we'll meet uh, after to to discuss this. So um, Debbie didn't know what to expect. She didn't know what she was going to do, but she said, this is my only chance to get the manuscript back for my brother. And so she goes to the hotel room. He opens the door and he is in his underclothes and a bathrobe. And she's like, oh, I see what this is about. Debbie says that she was trying to speak with Hemsley about her novel, about her short story when he made it clear that he was trying to get into her pants and he actually became very aggressive with her 
and like threw her on the bed. And that's how lipstick got on the sheets because she was like fighting him off. She was able to get out from under him, grabbed the umbrella. He pulls it. And that's when it reveals that there was a sword in it. He's laughing. He then goes back after her again. And at this point, he kind of stumbles into the um, sword and dies, like falls back. And that's how he's found. Once he's dead, Debbie grabs the briefcase with the manuscript in it and runs. She then gives the briefcase with the manuscript to her brother because it's his manuscript. Based on that story, it was clearly self-defense, if not like a complete accident, to be honest. However, you know, an argument can be made for the stealing of the briefcase, although the manuscript in it was Frank's. So it wasn't um, Hemsley Post property, uh, but the briefcase was. And she's super sympathetic. So I don't know if the ADA would go to charge her with anything. Um, so it might work out for her. The last scene is the actual awards night and Jessica wins and Horace wins. But just the interaction between Jessica and Horace and then the mistake when he pulls out his lighter, which is shaped like a gun, and the and the concessions woman thinks that she's being held up. So she hits the panic button. I'm just like, why is Jessica friends with Horace? Why? How in the world could she even stand to deal with him for any period of time? There's being polite. And then they're sticking your neck out to prove that this person didn't commit murder. And then there is being actual friends with this person. Jessica, he's toxic. Leave him be. Leave him be. <laughs> anyway. No, I'm serious though. Leave him be. And every other man in this episode, except Lieutenant Mayor. Everyone else, trash, get rid of them, never speak with them again. Don't even acknowledge them in the street. Promise me this, Jessica. Anyway, so that's that on that. Another episode of Murder, She Wrote. Again, I sat through it. I watched it. I didn't skip past any parts. Um, it was a fine watch, but super frustrating with regards to Horace and his drinking and his forgetfulness and just his inability to be an actual functioning human being. Um, and every other guy, again, except Lieutenant Mayor, being a complete trash bag. Uh, other than that, Jessica was excellent. <laughs> she was excellent. She was excellent in this episode. So next week, we will be talking about Murder Takes the Bus. And this is one of my faves. This one is on my DVR and I watch it regularly. So I am excited to bring that one to you guys. Um, so for early access, go over to the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon for a review of Murder, She Wrote, Gin and Daggers. Go over to Patreon for a review of Manhattan and Murder that's coming up. Go over to Patreon 
for my story time about the five times I went to California and each of those adventures, go over to the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. And for a review of A Christmas Mystery and A Beautiful Place to Die from the Martha's Vineyard Mystery Series, go over to the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. Otherwise, I will see you right back here next week for Murder Takes the Bus. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and give me a five-star review and subscribe because that's always great. And you guys have an amazing week and I'll see you then. Bye.